through the written word and the spoken word. May we know your living word, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. If I were a little bolder, I might have kicked off this morning's sermon by singing a chorus of Old Lang Syne. Why would I want to do such a thing? Well, we're on the last day of the liturgical year. We're in that moment of looking back over the past year, but also facing the excitement of Advent and Christmas still before us. I'm not that bold, some of you might be relieved to know, so I won't be singing to you this morning. With the coronation of King Charles III taking place just this past May, when thinking about this final Sunday when we celebrate Christ the King, I couldn't help but call to mind the very different ways in which Christ's kingdom is different from the one from which I hail, the United Kingdom. The coronation this year was a very grand affair, costing, according to Google anyway, up to $125 million. Kings and kingdoms are most often associated with wealth, power, and patriarchal structures, which can make it tricky to grasp the subversive nature of Christ and how he is as king and the kingdom that he establishes. Today, our readings point us towards ways in which Christ is a very different kind of king. So last week, one of my PhD students texted me a photograph of his very cute two-year-old daughter. She had a big beaming smile and looked very proud of herself. Because my grasp of technology extends to the use of emojis, smiling at little h, I responded with a heart. Clearly a heart was not the correct response because the sender of said photograph came back immediately with a message that said, did you read the message on the T-shirt? And I said, well, yes, of course, because the writing was very bold and there were two words. Printed on her T-shirt were the words, big sister. Little H, who was not yet born when I arrived in Atlanta, is getting bigger, I thought to myself and now fits into her big sister's clothes. My assumption of the t-shirt's meaning was incorrect. Now, the sharp listeners amongst you, and even the not so sharp, will have no doubt guessed what he was trying to tell me. This little girl, as far as I was aware, the youngest in the family, is going to become a big sister. This was, in fact, an announcement that there is a third child on the way. My poor student was very disappointed that his supposedly prof clever professor had missed what seemed to him, and clearly everyone else that I speak to, a very obvious message. And the reason I tell you this this morning is not so that you reconsider your choice of theologian in community, although you might, and would be justified in doing so a little, um, but because today's gospel reading is just a bit like this. 
We think it's just about sheep and goats. That's what we see on the t-shirt. And we think it's about giving to the poor. But it's really about Christ and how his disciples will be known in the world if we follow him on the subversive nature of his kingship. When Matthew writes about Christ's kingship, he picks up what we heard in Ezekiel this morning. Now, before our reading, Ezekiel has spoken of how God has chastised the shepherds of Israel because they've only looked after themselves. In the ancient Near East, shepherd was used as a name for the king, and the king is expected to provide for his people and rule with justice. Because of the ill treatment of the flock, God steps in and says that Israel will have a new shepherd, a new king, and this king will be no other than God. I'm conscious as I say this that behind me we have a mural above the altar, known as Christ the Good Shepherd, created and installed over a century ago. On it, Christ is the protective shepherd, carrying the sheep who possibly cannot walk by itself. As Will Gaffney writes in her commentary on Ezekiel, the reading offers an opportunity to revisit the shepherding metaphor, but without romanticizing it. And so today, when you look at the mural, remember that this is a shepherd who is also a king, who rules with justice and as Matthew tells us, a king that will return in glory. Our gospel reading comes after a series of parables, which I have to say feel as though they've been going on for quite many Sundays now, in which Jesus is teaching on the kind of ruler that he is and the way that the kingdom of God is like. We've had a lot of teaching over the past few months on how Jesus isn't quite like what he was expected to be as the Messiah. He is a king, certainly, but really not like any other. And after our reading this week, the gospel moves straight to the Passion. And in the next verse, not included in this morning's reading, Jesus tells his disciples that he will be crucified. This is a rather unusual step for a king. The reading begins, when the Son of Man comes in glory. And once more, Matthew echoes the book of Daniel, chapter 7, which speaks of a Son of Man who will judge over those who have oppressed God's people. The Son of Man is given an everlasting kingdom. So Matthew precedes the Passion by recalling a book that the community would have been familiar with, in order to signal that this Jesus... He is the king that you've all been waiting for. Now, last weekend, I had my very first Kanuga experience on our church weekend away. And during the weekend, I went on a hike led by Bill and Susan. And en route, Bill brought up the subject of my preaching. Very brave, I have to say. He asked if all my sermons were about reconfiguring how we think about a passage. I started laughing, not only because Bill had hit the nail on the head, 
but also because I'd already begun to think about this week's sermon, and I'd already begun to read the commentaries and make my assumptions of what they were saying. And I had to admit that while I don't want to be predictable, this was actually my plan. So today, I hope that you'll leave thinking that this gospel is not, in fact, about sheep and goats. While in recent past, the passage has been interpreted about, as being about sheep and goats, today we're going to focus just on this one sentence. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Who are the least of these, I wonder? We are used to, at least most of us are, thinking about them as the poor, as a broad and even abstract group of people. But I think we need to be careful about this assumption because the passage tells us that these poor are a particular group. They are members of Christ's family. The Greek says brothers, and elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, this usually signifies either an actual blood brother or one of Jesus' followers. Earlier theologians, such as Origen, Basil, Augustine, and Thomas Aquinas, understood the least of these as disciples of Christ, which is a very different interpretation than the one I grew up with, but I think it's worth considering. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. The implications of this interpretation are that those who are on the king's right, the sheep, are those who have welcomed members of Christ's family, Christ's followers. Now, earlier on in Matthew, in chapter 10, we have a very similar idea. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, and whoever receives the disciples, we are told, in effect, receives Jesus. And however people treat the disciples is, in effect, how they treat Jesus. Thus, those on the king's right are people who have welcomed his followers when they were in need, and in doing so, have welcomed Jesus. Now, before I go any further, I want to be very clear, I'm not suggesting that this means we should pay no attention to the poor. The whole Bible makes very clear that we have a duty of care to anyone in need. But when Jesus separates out those who cared for his family and those who did not, he's separating people on how they responded to the king himself and the kind of kingdom that he's establishing. And here's where it becomes very challenging, at least for me, because the implication is that Christ's followers will need to be welcomed. They will need to depend on the charity of others. If you follow Jesus, you will be like him. And this could involve being without a home, being a wandering stranger, being reliant on the provision of others, or even 
being imprisoned for our faith. So the logic of the reading brings us to a far more radical life of discipleship because we're accustomed to thinking about it as giving to the poor rather than being the poor. We are accustomed to thinking about it as visiting those who are in prison or working with people in prison as I did when I was in the UK. But we need to pause, I think, on the basis of the reading this morning and ask ourselves if we are living lives in which we're willing to be imprisoned. It also calls us to reconsider where we live and minister. Now it's not just about feeding the stranger, but being willing to become the stranger. Being willing to follow God's call out of our comfort zone and rather than simply welcoming the needy in, going out into unfamiliar territories and risk being welcomed or even being turned away. So St. Luke's, this passage presents us with a challenge. What might it mean for us together as a church community to live recognizably like the least of these who are members of my family? Is it possible that there's something that we might need to give up or something that we might need to take on? I'm not going to answer this question this morning, of course, because this is something that we discern in life together. But as we continue to pursue questions of belonging and community, we might also need to reflect on where we need to be willing to risk being strangers, where we might need not only to offer the welcome, but to risk being welcomed. As we head toward Advent and Christmas, we are told that it's about serving a king who is about to be crucified. This is not a vision of a church triumphant. This is about a church in need that knows it can do nothing apart from Christ the King and that requires the hospitality of the world at large. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Amen. <laughs>